Hello and good morning. I have been following the news about the recent biannual gathering of heads of the British Commonwealth. You may well ask what a funny chap I am to be so interested in such a jamboree. But you know, call me what you like. I just hope that by the end of this talk, I would have convinced you why I am so interested. First, let me give you an idea as to what the Commonwealth is and was what is its history. It is common knowledge that Britain in the past headed a vast empire, ruling over what was termed its colonies. What may be less known is that within that vast British group of nations, some countries were not actually colonies but were dominions. This meant that they enjoyed being part of the family, but also had their own independence. Canada, on the 1st of July 1867, became the first such independent country within the British Empire. And since then, the concept of change within this setup of the empire began to gain acceptance, and many opinions were expressed. As more of the colonies such as Australia became independent, these thoughts started to gel and to eventually become the concept of the Commonwealth of Nations, with further developments occurring as a result of a series of what was termed imperial conferences. It took the First World War and then the Second World War to create the overall urgency of forming the Commonwealth on a more permanent and organized manner. And so the formal constitution was drawn in 1949, which, among other things, declared the establishment of the Commonwealth, which brought together a number of member states that were, and I quote, free and equal. Queen Elizabeth II, our present queen, presided over this group of around 31 nations who accepted her and, by implication, Britain as the notional head in spite of the presence at the time of at least five other monarchs. The queen has since ceased to be the head of state or have any formal position in several nations of the Commonwealth, including India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Malaysia and Singapore. Member states have no legal obligation to one another. Instead, they are united by language, history, culture and their shared values of democracy, freedom of speech, human rights and the rule of law. These values are enshrined in the Commonwealth Charter, and promoted by the quadrennial Commonwealth Games. The Commonwealth covers more than 29,958,050 kilometers square. That's about 11.5 million square miles, equivalent to 20% of the world's land area and spans all six inhabited continents, with an estimated population of 2.419 billion people, nearly a third of the world population. The Commonwealth 
in 2014 produced a nominal gross domestic product of $10.45 trillion, representing 14% of the gross world product when measured nominally, and 17% of the gross world product when measured in purchasing power parity. Its total wealth is estimated to be $10.45 trillion. The objectives and activities were first outlined in 1971 in the Singapore Declaration, which committed the Commonwealth to the institution of world peace, promotion of representative democracy and individual liberty, the pursuit of equality and opposition to racism, the fight against poverty, ignorance and disease, and free trade. To these were added opposition to discrimination on the basis of gender by the Lusaka Declaration of 1979 and environmental sustainability by the Langkau Declaration of 1989 These objectives were reinforced by the Harari Declaration in 1991. The Commonwealth's current highest priority aims are the promotion of democracy and development. As outlined in the 2003 ASO Rock Declaration, which built on those in Singapore and Harare and clarified their terms of reference, stating, and I here I quote, we are committed to democracy, good governance, human rights, gender equality, and the more equitable sharing of the benefits of globalization. The Commonwealth website lists its areas of work as democracy, economics, education, gender, governance, human rights, law, sport, sustainability, and youth. The Commonwealth now has 53 member countries, and it is countries, so it is still quite dynamic. Now, my dear listeners, I can only hope that I have managed to impress on you the greatness of this organization and the fact that there is a total respect for individual freedom for every country to conduct its affairs as it seems fit, while not compromising its equal status with the other members. It does not matter how large or small the country is. There are tiny islands and there are vast countries such as Canada and India. And this is what makes me excited about the Commonwealth especially when I compare it with the European Union. Like the Commonwealth, the EU is a brilliant concept, and like the Commonwealth, I genuinely wish that it succeeds. But I cannot help feeling that the ethos is so different between the two concepts. The EU tends to create laws and regulations that have to be implemented by all its members regardless as to whether it suits every country. The Commonwealth does not impose rules or or laws, but only insists on a good democratic constitution. To me, this makes all the difference. And for this reason, 
I wish both the Commonwealth and the EU continuing success, although, although my deep feeling is that the EU could do itself a favor by looking at the British Commonwealth model a bit closer. I'm sure we should all be pleased to see the heads of state of the Commonwealth were very gracious in accepting the Queen's wish to have Prince Charles take over the chairmanship, thus demonstrating maturity, objectivity, and an expression of love to the mother nation that brought the group to life. Goodbye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not keep up to date with The Sound of Surrey by listening live at brooklandsradio.co.uk or through our free mobile app.